is, is not love at all. It's compromise. It's, um, it's uh, self-centeredness. It's all about the happiness of oneself at the cost of others, at the cost of uh, morality, at the cost of even God's glory, right? And so, um, you know, just keep that in mind as you draw closer to the Lord, how it is that through our knowledge of Jesus Christ, that we are able only then to express a love that truly brings him glory and even comes close to what he's demonstrated to us. And so that's why we're here this morning. We're here to make disciples and to do the work of an evangelist. So just tell you the purpose of our time together is those two things. That's it. You know, we're here as God's children, as, as a church, as the bride of Christ, uh, to be discipled. And for anyone who's here who has not surrendered their lives to Christ, perhaps today is the day of salvation and you truly come to know love. That today would be the day in which you surrender your life to Christ. So that is the work of an evangelist. To know that Jesus Christ died for you on the cross. That he, he not only hung on the cross to pay for your sins, shed his blood for where there is no... Uh, shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. In other words, forgiveness of sins. He was buried three days later, rose from the grave. And he's not only uh, victorious over our sin, but also over the grave. And in Christ, we have eternal life. We're new creatures in Christ. So today, you can simply repent of your sins, confess him as Lord and Savior, and know eternal life, the hope of heaven today. Those are the two things we're here to accomplish. That's it. Uh, before we get into God's Word, we're in Acts chapter 28. Um, I, I just want uh, to remind you of a few things. Uh, note some announcements here. Uh, number one, we have a dinner fellowship coming up on Friday, March 12th at 6.30 p.m. So this is a great time of food, fellowship, prayer, sharing in God's Word, um, and just uh, building friendships within the body of Christ. And so make sure that you sign up today. Go, go to the information table if you have any questions um, and just get signed up. It's a great way of developing friendships, of getting to know each other, and, um, and encouraging one another. We also have some uh, refuge shirts. So just a reminder, at the information table, we have a, a women's pink faith shirt. We have a, in, in God We Trust shirts. And uh, so make sure you go take a look at what we have and uh, pick one up. And, uh, you know, it's a great way of... Um, uh, of reaching out, you know, when sometimes when people see your shirt, they ask questions, you know, what is that? You know, where is that from? And it gives you the opportunity to either share Christ with them or invite them to church. So it's, it's a good way to do that. Um, and just uh, I was reminded today as I was going through the sanctuary um, and I violated this, but I, I just I'm telling you, I come through the back door. So I had to come through with my cup of coffee. Um, but I promise you, I went quickly to the back area fellowship, and uh, I didn't come back into the sanctuary because <laughs> we're trying to keep this area as clean as possible. Uh, if you could just uh, reserve uh, this area for just bottled water, that would be wonderful. That way we could keep it up as much as we can and, and not put those nice, beautiful, big stains all over the place. Um, and just so you know, so we do have a visitor from, uh, from out of state. Um, and people do, people do travel. So, Troy, if you're watching this, okay, I just want to tell you, you guys know Troy, he moved to Texas. He's Texas. I just want to tell you, Troy, people do travel from Texas to California for the sole purpose of coming to refuge. 
So, Troy, just keep that in mind. Um, my sister is here from, from uh, Texas, um, but what I'm going to tell you is I don't recommend that you talk to her at all. <laughs> all right? And if you do find yourself talking to her, uh, make sure that you come to me afterwards so I can clarify anything she's saying. Okay? So, just a word of warning. <laughs> all right. So, we're in Acts chapter 28. This is it. Acts chapter 28. Can you believe that? Um, I don't know how long we've been in the book of Acts, but as you know, you know, next week we'll be in, in what book? We'll be in Romans chapter 1, and we'll continue to go through, through the word in that manner. But this morning we're in Acts chapter 28. We're wrapping up um, this amazing account of the early church, the birth of the church, and now it is, um, it is spread throughout the world. We know that as Paul enters into Rome, that he will encounter some brothers and sisters there. And so the gospel uh, at that time had traveled throughout the world. And then from Rome, of course, um, the word getting there, it's traveling all over the rest of the world. You know, there's a saying, all roads lead to, you don't know the saying? Rome, Rome, right? Well, they had this beautiful system by which you could travel anywhere in the world from Rome. You could go in any, any direction. And uh, so from there, the gospel traveled everywhere. And, uh, and so we're going to see how Paul finally arrives in Rome. Let's begin by reading, though. The title of this morning's message is Bound Yet Unhindered. Bound Yet Unhindered. Verse 1 of chapter 28 says, After we were... Brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. Remember that they were shipwrecked and that they had made it to land. And it was this island called Malta. Verse 2, the native people showed us unusual kindness for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said, that he was a god. Verse 7. Now, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Heavenly Father, we want to commit this time of study into your hands, Lord. As we just read, Lord, this was a a situation, a circumstance in which Paul found himself once again uh, facing trial. Lord, it's it's such a difficult event that he was faced with. 
And yet, Lord, the gospel was unhindered. The word of God was unhindered as he and others, Lord, the, the Roman soldiers and, uh, and the crew, the ship's crew, all landed there in Malta. Father, it was at this moment that you continued, continued your work in the life of Paul. I pray, Father, that we, too, would understand that although sometimes the circumstances are beyond our comprehension and perhaps we are overwhelmed with them, Lord, that your word is never bound is never hindered, and in fact, in spite of our circumstances, Lord, and through them, you're doing a beautiful work. Whether it be in our lives or through them, may it all be to your glory. So speak to us this morning, give us understanding, and we pray this in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, Amen. Well, it was while Paul was in jail in Rome that he wrote a few letters. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and his letter to Philemon. It was in Philippians 1.21 that Paul wrote, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, Paul was true to that statement, and what he meant by that statement is clearly seen in the following verses after that verse. Verse 22 of Philippians chapter 1 says, uh, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necess- necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. The Apostle Paul was a man of faith. He was one who completely surrendered his life to Christ on the road to Damascus. He was a man who was a prosecutor and became the prosecuted. He was a man who endured shipwreck. He endured beatings. He endured false accusations. He endured all of those things. And you can see that this is a man that continued regardless of what he was faced with, all to further the gospel of Jesus Christ in and through his life. Nothing could stop this man. And so Paul was true to that statement. For, for me, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. No matter what, for Paul, it was a win-win situation. Now, who Paul was always pointing to was Jesus Christ. Why? Because there is no other hope. Anything else that we point to in life, in the world, is fleeting. It's vain. It's empty. It's here one moment, gone the next. It's not something that's eternal. The only hope that we have is found in the person of Jesus Christ. He's the only one that died. For your sin. He's the only one that resurrected from the grave, having victory over the grave. And in Christ, we too have found victory over sin and death. He is our only hope. He is our only source of salvation from eternal condemnation in hell. For Jesus said, And I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. C.H. Spurgeon said, Hope itself is like a star. 
not to be seen in the sunshine of prosperity and only to be discovered in the night of adversity, close quote. You know, when we're filled with prosperity, when things are good, well, what is there to hope for? For we have what we need, but it's when we're faced with adversity that we can express greatly the light of hope that we have. That's what the world needs to see in you and me. They need to see a people who are filled with faith. Paul's sole purpose was to testify of Jesus Christ and the salvation God offers through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and to make disciples. That was it. But get this, Paul was in chains. Paul was in chains. Didn't this hinder his work? It's one of those things for us that we ought to question. What, what hinders our serving the Lord? For him, it was nothing. He was in chains. He was a, by all definition of the word, he was a, a condemned man, right? In the world's eyes. And yet, he was chained, but... He was unhindered. He may have had the burden of the worldly condemnation, but he was unburdened in the eyes of the Lord. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And he was free. He was a free man. In fact, this is how he sought. And and we know it by what he wrote in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter uh, chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. He said this, he said, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel for which I am suffering bound with chains as a criminal. He said, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It's it's the same perspective and same heart that you and I should have. That kind of uh, unwavering faith, steadfastness in the truth of God's word, a love that is expressed by the manner in which we conduct ourselves as Christians, believers in Jesus Christ. Listen, false accusations, murderous plots, the mob, storms and shipwrecks couldn't silence Paul and the furtherance of the gospel, then we can be assured, you and I can be assured and know confidently that no cancel culture, no PC movement, no infiltration of social justice distractions, no censorship by the media, no nothing will prevail against the church and nothing will hinder the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus told Matthew, I mean, Peter, in Matthew 16, 18, And I tell you, you are Peter. But he didn't tell him on this rock, but he told him on the rock, Jesus Christ, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So no matter what, the church is alive and well. I believe the church is being sifted. That I do believe. I believe the true believers, it's like there's no hiding. There's going to come a point to where We're so tested by the fire 
that there will be either um, those that remain and those that simply fall away. I, I do believe that. But rest assured, the church is going nowhere until we're raptured. Because Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Shall not. And his word is sure. It's done. This is why Paul consistently and confidently proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness. Even when he experienced difficulties. Perhaps especially when he faced difficulties. The word was always delivered without his personal hindrance. This morning, we conclude the book of Acts by learning of Paul's ministry on Malta, Paul's ministry on the road to Rome, and Paul's ministry in Rome. And he was right when he confessed that he suffered and he was treated like a criminal. But as we read in 2 Timothy, but the word of God is not bound. That was his confession, and it was true. May you be encouraged and provoked to live as a Christian who knows the word of God is unbound. That Jesus is the only hope one has in this life of knowing salvation. And will never allow personal trials to hinder the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That our voice simply gets louder and louder and clearer. Three things. We'll see a healing on Refuge Island, a redeeming on the road to Rome, and a witnessing in the city of Rome. Let's begin again in Acts chapter 28, verse 1. This is a healing on Refuge Island. Verse 1 says, After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead, but when they had waited a long time, and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Uh, this was uh, the serpent's bite, but uh, God's protection was clearly upon Paul. Now, we need to notice that Luke writes in the first person. We can go to Acts chapter 1, verse 1. We can come through to go to Acts chapter 27, verse 1, verse 27, verse 37, and now Acts chapter 28, verse 1, and see how it is that Luke was there with the Apostle Paul. He had accompanied him on this voyage. So he was there when the ship went down. He was there when they washed up on shore. He was there when the fire uh, was, was lit and Paul was bringing this wood to the fire. And he was there when the viper fastened onto his hand, biting him and held onto him. And he was there when Paul held the snake over the fire and just simply dropped him in. These are all first-hand uh, experiences for, for Luke. And he wrote very accurately. He wrote by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It was the very breath of God. 
Now, they landed on this island, the island of Malta. It's west of the island of Crete. Remember, they, they thought that they could leave Crete and, and make it to Italy and arrive in Rome safely. But they left too late in the season. It was a, a season for storms. And when they went out, they were tossed and they, didn't, they, they couldn't go in any one direction. Um, and two weeks later, they drifted pretty much. And they were at the mercy of the sea um, to this island just south of Sicily. Uh, which you see the boot coming down, and you see Sicily is the island uh, to the south of that boot, Italy. And then below that, you have the island of Malta. So this is where they landed, on the island of Malta. In fact, the island of Malta has a bay named after Paul. It's St. Paul's Bay. And it's located in about the middle of the island on the north side, St. Paul's Bay. Malta, get this, so Malta, they, they landed on the island of refuge because Malta means refuge. Interesting, right? Hmm. It was there that Paul found rest, being refreshed. After having endured two weeks of danger in the open sea, it was on this island that they realized safety and shelter. You can say that it served as a sanctuary to heal and restore their health and strength in order to be able to continue on their journey and make it all the way to Rome. You know, oftentimes in uh, our lives, we may be encountered with difficult circumstances to where we might find ourselves uh, in, a, in a sense like we're out in open waters. We really have no direction. We found ourselves just really at the mercy of God. And, and the Lord brings us to this place to where we are washed up on the island of refuge. To where we just need to rest. We just need to find some refreshment. The Lord has brought us there and protected us against the further effects of the elements around us, the world around us. I sure hope that, you know, by name we've, we've named it refuge, but really... Our refuge is Jesus Christ. It's not the place. But I sure do hope that as you walk through those doors that perhaps you too sense the love of Christ and that this is a place of refuge for you. Because life can come at us very hard. It can knock us down. It can confuse us at times if we're not strong in the Lord. And yet when we come, hopefully we're encouraged. We're stirred up to loving good works. We can encourage one another, remind each other of, of where we should be standing on that straight and narrow road with Christ and find ourselves right before him. May this be a sanctuary for you as we find strength and rest in Christ. Well, they landed on this sanctuary, this island called Malta, or Refuge. And, and they encountered these natives of the island. Um, I'm sure they didn't know whether they were friendly or not, but they, they were. In fact, it says here that they were kind to them. They were hospitable toward Paul and the Roman soldiers and the crew of the ship. And they certainly found rest. And yet it was cold and rainy. They found themselves around a fire. Paul took it upon himself to go grab some wood and bring it back. And so Luke, he, he records a specific incident. And, and, and the reason why he records it again, because God led him to record it, was for your benefit and mine. 
So it's significant. It's something that we can't just gloss over. Well, there's this incident, you know, where Paul got bit by a snake and, you know, then he went off and more people were healed and all that. No, no, no. This, there's something significant here. There's something for you and I to learn from. Because the snake within the wood did bite him, fastened on to him. And then he, he didn't freak out, which... I mean, have you ever gotten bit by a snake? No? Well, not by a rattler. Hopefully not a rattler. But, but have you ever gotten bitten by like a gopher snake, uh, you know, like a non-venomous snake? No? You guys have not lived. Right? So, okay, so there's a few. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, like, it, it, it scares you. The first time you get bit, you're like, oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> sure, you're not a rattler, right? But um, but it's so you have a tendency to 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 pull back, right? So I can't imagine Paul getting bit by this viper, and and then holding it calmly over the the fire and just letting it just fall in. Oh. Well, the natives they knew that he was a prisoner. They knew he was a prisoner, and they knew that he had escaped this violent storm, been washed up on the seashore of the island of Malta, and they thought, well, he escaped that judgment, but they didn't escape, he didn't escape justice. Here's judgment. He just got bit. Now, there's an argument among biblical scholars as to whether this was actually a venomous snake or not. It is. It's like... I I find it uh, I find it amusing, but I always warn you guys. Hey, listen the the men who write these commentaries and all that are men. That they are not they're not God who's writing these commentaries. All right. So go. Where do we go to find out how to interpret the text of the Bible? The Bible itself, right? We interpret it by the Bible. We go to it. So let's go to the original word. Echidna, right? That's the original word in the Greek, which means viper, which means poisonous snake. So whether one agrees with the accuracy of the use of this word or not is itself extra biblical. That, that whole argument is extra biblical because this is the word that was used. That specific word, that means a venomous snake. Also take into account the reaction of the natives of the island, the Maltese people. Take their reaction to this viper clinging to Paul's hand. Because if anyone would be familiar with the wildlife on their island, it would be them, the natives of the island. And they believed Paul was going to have a deathly reaction to the bite, or at the very least, he would, he would swell up. Right? Those are the things we need to take into account. And for me, it's quite clear. It was a venomous snake. This was significant. Luke recorded it. The natives thought he was a dead man. Judgment had come upon him, and yet God protected him. Mercy and grace. We can't explain it away. We just can't. But notice Paul's reaction to the snake clinging to him. 
Like I said, he just simply hung it over the fire, shook it off into the fire, and, and, and we see here written, he suffered no harm whatsoever. In essence, this was Paul's reaction on the violent seas, and it was his reaction also to when the snake bit him. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. When situations in life bite you, do you freak out? Or do you simply hold it over the fire and let it fall off? Do you lean on and cling to the Lord as the world seemingly tries to cling on to you? Because in Christ, those things will simply fall off. They'll be done away with. And if it's not your time, nothing can take your life. There's an appointed time and day. And until then, let us live for the glory of Christ. For to live is Christ and to die is gain. Where initially the natives were convinced that Paul was undoubtedly a criminal because he was judged. The snake bit him. They were now lauding him as a god because he suffered no harm. Isn't that the tendency of of humanity? Like, oh, he's he's a judge man. He just, like, he suffered this justice. Justice just came down. Oh, he suffered nothing. Oh, we're not worthy. We're not worthy, right? It's like, you are a god. Like, us and the Maltese, no different. That's why we need to be careful with idolatry. We need to be very careful how we exalt others to that place that is only reserved for God in our lives. He suffered no harm. They regarded him as a god, but Paul knew him suffering no harm had nothing to do with himself. Nothing to do with himself. And everything to do with God's grace. He had been delivered from death before, being beaten and left for dead. But it was always a deliverance from death to allow Paul to further testify of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul knew that. He was sober-minded. He was clear. He was humble in respect to his own person. And he knew, there was nothing in and of myself that's good. So if my life is spared, it is spared for one purpose. It is to accomplish my bucket list. Now I know what living is all about, and I don't want to miss out. Oh, I want to travel to Switzerland. I want to travel to uh, Germany and, and see. No, it's not that, right? It's interesting, though. Sometimes as God does spare our lives, how it is that all of a sudden, instead of giving glory to God, in knowing that our purpose is to bring him glory and to further the gospel, all of a sudden it becomes all about ourselves. It shouldn't be that. For, for the Apostle Paul, he knew it had nothing to do with him, had everything to do with the Lord, and it just give, gave him more time to further testify of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was it. God healed Paul and protected him for God's purpose and will. And this protection gave him great favor from In the eyes of the natives. Paul used this for further ministry during the time he was on the island. He used this to his advantage. Verse 7 says, Now in the neighborhood of that place were 
lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. So we see prayer, healing, and favor. This was all God's provision. He provided this. Paul and the other men were taken in and entertained for three days. And this was by the the leading man of the island. In other words, the representative of Rome was there. The chief man of the island is what he was referred to. God gave them favor and they enjoyed it for three days being tended to. But at that point, after three days, they found out that the father of the chief man of the island was sick. He had a fever, he had dysentery, which is a bacterial infection and is transmissible, is communicable. Uh, it's a disease that can transfer, be transferred from, from one person to another very easily. So what did Paul do? Well, he donned a mask. It's an N95. Put on gloves and a gown. And he, no, he didn't do that, right? We're so familiar with that, right? right? We're so familiar with that now because of what's taken place in the last year. But Paul, what he did was incredible. He went. He went to this man's wherever he was, his home, right? He visited him, put his hands on him, and prayed for him. And Publius's father was healed. Was healed. Completely. God used Paul to heal this man. Paul believed God could. Do you believe that God still heals today? I was in a meeting the other day with um, a couple physicians and a nurse, and they were telling me that, you know, there's a lot of situations where it's beyond medicine. And really, we just, we want to make sure we give you your place so that you can bring a hope that goes well beyond what medicine can offer. And I thought that's awesome because the Lord is the one that's opening up those doors to bring the gospel, to bring a true and lasting and eternal hope to those who are in need. Perhaps in their last moments, they can surrender and cry out to the Lord. But Paul believed that God could heal. Do you believe that? Turn with me to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verse 13 is where we're going to be reading. Sisters, who's, uh, who is James? You're studying half-brother of Jesus. You know, he didn't believe in, in uh, him as the Messiah prior to his, his death and resurrection. Did you know that? And, and, and who was James in, the, in Jerusalem? 
in the church. He was a leading man, and he was, the, he, was, he was a very important figure within the church there in Jerusalem. He went from not believing to realizing who it was that grew up in his household. It was Jesus, and he, he writes this. In James chapter 5, verse 13, it says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Anyone suffering? What, what's our answer? We need to what? We need to pray, right? Is anyone cheerful? Anyone cheerful here? No. Okay. All right. No, no cheer here. Let him sing. Praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. These are things that are beyond our imagination. We, we do not know how it is that the Lord does these things, but he does. And the reason why James point out, pointed out Elijah and he said, he, he's a man just like you and I, but he believed he had that faith. And the question for us often is, do we have that kind of faith? When we're praying for one another for healing, for salvation, for our prodigals, you know, or for those who, who have not come, you know, to the Lord, that, that they would know salvation. You know, do we truly believe that God can move in those prayers? We should. Because it's only by faith that God is pleased. It says that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. For without faith, it's impossible to please him, right? Coming back to Acts chapter 28. You know, when the people saw how this man was healed, this impacted the rest of the people on the island. And they kept bringing, they said, okay, so if, if he was healed... You know, well, I have an uncle and I have a brother and I have a sister. They're sick, you know, and let's bring them. And they were cured one after another. They were all cured. For three months, the Maltese people took good care of Paul and Paul and Luke and all of the people that were on the island. Those that were laying hands on them, the believers were praying and they were seeing many people be cured. And God was glorified. After three months of being taken care of and going through all of this, they were ready to set sail. They, they sent them off with all the provisions they needed for the remainder of the journey to Rome. You see, God gave Paul and the men a true refuge. They were received with unusual kindness. They were entertained hospitably. They were honored greatly. And then they were given ample provision to make the rest of the journey to Rome. This would be in contrast to the reception that awaited Paul in Rome by the Jews, by the way. Stark contrast there. There's a difference. There's a difference there. The Maltese people just received them and were open to Paul and 
This is not what we're going to see in Rome. But God provided a refuge for Paul and provided Paul as a vessel to minister to and bring healing to the islanders. All to the glory of God. So healing on refuge island, number two, redeeming on the road to Rome. Verse 11, as we continue, it says, After three months we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day we came to Pudioli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome, and the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the form of Apius in three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Now, this is the last leg. And again, as we see the Apostle Paul, no time is wasted whatsoever. They set sail after three months, initially coming into Syracuse, which is a city on the island of Sicily. After three days, they continued making their way up to Rome, up you know the Italian peninsula, uh, to Rome, and along the way they met, met up with some brothers in Christ and were invited to stay with them, which they did for seven days. They stayed with them. Now, this all speaks of evidence that the gospel had already reached Rome. And we'll soon hear how the gospel of Jesus Christ was known of in the area of, of Rome. So it was known, you could say, uh, to, the, to the known world. That's the, they knew of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was becoming common knowledge. Well, while they were in uh, Pudioli, the Christian brothers in Rome heard that Paul was there and came to him. As he, they continued to go up, uh, they met with him in uh, what's called here the form of Apius, then three taverns is where they met the Apostle Paul. This was no doubt a delight to the Apostle Paul. It's a breath of fresh air. It's very encouraging. Why is that? You know, not only did he meet with the brothers for a week that were there in that area, but when those brothers of Rome heard that Paul was on his way, they couldn't wait. You know how far they traveled to meet with them? Imagine not having a car, no motorcycle, nothing like that. They traveled for over 40 miles one way to meet up with the Apostle Paul and walk him into Rome. How encouraging. Paul thanked God and took courage. Simple words says it all. You see, simple acts like this may not seem like much to you. But they do serve to encourage others when trials have knocked them around pretty good. This is simple going out of your way. Taking a little time. At the cost of convenience. To do a little something. Oh, it brings great delight. It causes someone to praise God and to take courage. Galatians 6.10 says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Hebrews 10.24 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That's why this is important right here. 
This fellowship is important. It's critical. And it's by command. Paul was ministering on this road to Rome. And God was also ministering to Paul as well on this road. And so we know that Paul was making the best use use of this difficult journey. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. If you don't take advantage of the time you have by living in godly wisdom and with godly biblical purpose, then time will overtake you. It is not a respecter of persons. It will overtake you with worldly purposes to undermine, destroy, and waste what time God has gifted you with. You look back and you wonder, what happened? Hmm. It's because we didn't give it to the Lord. We didn't, we didn't make best use of the time. We didn't redeem the time for the sake of the glory of God. We used it for ourse- ourselves or to do something worldly. And it really undermined the very work of the Lord that God desired to do in our lives. Well, Paul redeemed the time every bit. And he finally arrived in Rome and was chained to a Roman soldier who guarded him at all times. Which, by the way, he had a captive audience all the time. He was there all the time. They would rotate soldiers out to guard him, but they were chained to him. Can you imagine? Here was Paul. It's like, oh, you're going to bring me someone else? Wonderful. (laughs) Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. He was bound yet unhindered. Philippians chapter 1. Let me turn there. Philippians chapter 1 verse 12 says this. I want you to know, brothers, and this is the Apostle Paul writing to the Philippians. Again, this is when he was bound, when he was in prison, when he was in chains. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Even the Apostle Paul, he made it very clear. This was his perspective. Yes, I'm in chains, but it's to further the gospel. I have these guards that are coming and they're being chained to me and I'm able to to tell them about, about Jesus Christ and tell them about salvation in him. And by the way, because of my outlook, because of my faith in the Lord, it's serving as an encouragement to others to be more bold in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't that the way we influence one another? Is it not the way we influence one another? It is. That's why when we coward, when we express a fear, you know that it's contagious. That's why one fearful soldier engaging, or actually not engaging in battle, is a detriment to everyone else. But when you have someone who charges... And is absolutely fearless. It appears fearless, but there's fear. But in spite of fear, they continue to move forward. What does that do to everyone else? It gives you boldness. It gives you great confidence 
And this is what the Apostle Paul was. He was an, ins- an instrument of faith. He was an instrument of encouragement to all the others. This is what he writes in Philippians. This was what you and I do when we stand up and we say, no, we need to stand by faith and not recoil in fear. Bound yet unhindered. Are you unhindered? Healing on Refuge Island, redeeming on the road to Rome, and lastly, witnessing in the city of Rome. Verse 17, after three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, brothers, though I had nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you. And since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you. And none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are for with regard to this sect. We know that everyone uh, that everywhere it is spoken against. Witnessing in the city of Rome. This is Paul's guiltless disclosure. Again, an, uh, an example of fearless faith. Because Paul immediately called on the local Jewish leaders in order to disclose the reason why he's in Rome. Now, get this. What happened with the brothers, the church came out to meet him, brought him into Rome. But this isn't who he called. He called the unbelieving Jews, the leading men of the synagogue there. And he called them, I want to call on you, come. I want to disclose why it is that I'm here. I want to lay it all out. Well, there are these Jews in Jerusalem. They accuse me falsely. Uh, But Rome, they found all found all these claims baseless. They had no evidence, no true, genuine, factual evidence against me. And so they wanted, Rome wanted to acquit me. It was just, it was done with. But the Jews continued to come after me. And so because of that, I have nothing against my nation is what he said. I have nothing to come back to them with because I have nothing against my nation. But I appealed to Caesar because they still wanted to come after me. So in other words, he appealed to the law, right? And as he appealed to the law, he found himself there in Rome. He was going to appear before Caesar. And Paul stated that the real reason he was in chains was because of the hope of Israel, which they knew to be, according to Moses and the prophets, Jesus Christ. He was prophesied about. They were looking for a political savior And instead, we know Jesus to be a spiritual savior. Not to deliver the people out of Roman oppression, but to deliver them from eternal condemnation. 
This is why they're after me. This is why. Why? Because I'm simply speaking the truth and I'm ruining their religion. Crushing it, right? People were coming to faith. Paul was testifying of the crucifixion. This is simple. He was testifying of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There was no holding back as to the truth of the circumstances, and Paul continued to testify of Jesus Christ. So he told them. When the Jewish leaders heard Paul, they told him, hey, no witnesses have arrived from Jerusalem. There's no one who's come to, to Rome to testify against you on behalf of the church in Jerusalem. And not good or bad, they hadn't heard anything. Uh, they had heard, though, he, they told him, they had heard of the Christian faith. It's opposed and spoken against everywhere. But they said they'd like to hear all about it from Paul. You know, it's opposed everywhere. Everyone knows about it. But we want to hear from you, Paul. Can you imagine Paul <laughs> at that moment? I mean, I, Paul knows he's in Rome for one, one purpose. That's to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he just had an opportunity right then and there. Oh, we invite you to speak. You know, hey, listen, sometimes we may be spoken against. Not some, we will be. And if you haven't, you will be. Just stand for Christ unwaveringly. Unwaver, uh, you know, just steadfast in the Lord, immovable. Just stand in the truth, though. Okay? Not compromising. Love, love, love will speak truth and not compromise the truth. And for the Apostle Paul, even when he was falsely accused, he was given a platform upon which he could proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm sure he was delighted. But at least they wanted to learn about this faith they referred to as a sect, uh, what they deemed as a nonconformist group who were typically regarded as heretical, dangerous, and extreme. Be careful for these Christians. You know, these Christians, are, they're dangerous, extreme. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Now, the only danger Christians posed was to stay Satan in hell. What, what, it, what is our goal? To give people hope in Christ? To tell them about Jesus Christ? Oh, once you surrender your life to Christ, what happens is, you, is you, you repent, you turn from those wicked ways. Why? Because you desire to now glorify the Lord. Oh, that's horrible. Like, to, to, right? to the world, that, that's horrible. Why would you want to do that? No. Come and know hope in Christ and find out. The burden of sin will be lifted up off of you. And you will know an eternal hope in Christ. But let's continue. Verse 23 says, When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at at his lodging uh, in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. 
and disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. He said, The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there for two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So he was proclaiming the gospel. He had a burden for the lost. On an appointed day, many people came to hear Paul at his rented apartment. He paid, it, he paid for it himself. For two years, he worked. Nonetheless, probably as a tent maker, that was his trade. And so he provided for himself during this whole time, even though he was in chains. He was, a, he was on house arrest. He was there with a prisoner at all times. He delivered an exhaustive study of the Old Testament all day from Moses and the prophets. Uh, it reminds me of Luke chapter 24, when Jesus met, the ro- uh, met uh, two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Uh, you may remember after his resurrection how he met with them, and, and, and uh, Jesus did the same thing. He went to Moses and through the prophets, and he pointed to himself the fulfillment of those prophecies in Jesus Christ. And when their eyes were opened, they were, they were beside themselves. They couldn't believe it. Did, did not our hearts burn? When he was walking us through the scriptures, you know, and I'm paraphrasing here. The Apostle Paul did the same thing. From morning till evening, he went through the scriptures. Not, you know, not anything, but, but just what was written. The law and the prophets, bringing it all through. First Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. They listened to him all day. Even with all this work, though, and with all this evidence, it says some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. Some were convinced, others disbelieved. And so, as we see here, in Paul's response, he was grieved. He was absolutely grieved. Was he thankful for those who came to Christ? Absolutely. But he was grieved because of those that rejected salvation and God's grace. He had the same perspective as Peter had, and this was God's perspective. Because in 2 Peter 3.9, it says, The Lord is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. All. God, does God desire for people to perish? No, not one. He desires that all should reach repentance, salvation. So Paul had the right perspective. C.H. Spurgeon said, quote, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let not one go unwarned and unprayed for, close quote. Paul lived for two years there in Rome doing that very thing, working and paying his own way. 
And he welcomed all and proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ and taught it with boldness, and this is key, and without hindrance. Without hindrance. Where does God have you to where perhaps you're saying you're hindered? Like the circumstances, you have little kids, so that hinders your your service to the Lord, your proclamation of the gospel, your... your, your uh, uh, participation in the continuation of the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is it your work? Is it uh, uh, your spouse? Is it uh, friends? Is it your health? What is it? Should be nothing. It should be proclaimed with boldness and without hindrance. So we see healing on Refuge Island. We see redeeming on the road to Rome. And we see witnessing in the city of Rome. I'll leave you with a few words here. Tossed by a storm, but the gospel was not hindered. Bound to an island, but the gospel was not hindered. Bit by a serpent, but the gospel was not hindered. Struck with illnesses, but again the gospel was not hindered. Chained to a Roman soldier, but the gospel was not hindered. You see, the only hindrance of the gospel of Jesus Christ is your own personal rejection and silence. D.L. Moody said, But when a man is not deeply convicted of sin, it is a pretty sure sign that he has not truly repented. Experience has taught me that men who have very slight conviction of sin sooner or later lapse back into their old life. He also said, No matter how low down you are, no matter what your disposition has been, You may be low in your thoughts, words, and actions. You may be selfish. Your heart may be overflowing with corruption and wickedness. Yet Jesus will have compassion upon you. He will speak comforting words to you, not treat you coldly or spurn you, as perhaps those of earth would, but will speak tender words and words of love and affection and kindness. Just come at once. He is a faithful friend, a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Father, we are so grateful. We are so thankful that your your word goes out with power. In fact, you tell us that it will not return void. And it accomplishes that which you have set forth for it to accomplish. I pray that we here, whether it be salvation, perhaps someone here, has never surrendered their lives to Christ, I pray, Father, that they would know that love, that you died on, that that you, Father, sent your Son to die on the cross for our sins, past, present, and future. And by repenting of our sins, confessing our sins, turning from them, and running to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, knowing forgiveness of our sins, that we will know a hope that cannot be shaken, a hope that cannot be taken away, that we will know salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And today would be the day of salvation. I pray for those perhaps that have been in a a place of compromise. Lord, I remember that day when I was willingly living, conscientiously living in compromise. Lord, how miserable that was. Knowing that I wasn't right before you. And I remember that day when I recommitted my life to you. 
Father, I pray that if anyone's in that place right now, that today would be the day of recommitment, that we would forsake all because of you, and we would demonstrate our love to you. So forgive us of our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Lord. By the power and love and grace that we know through Jesus Christ. And I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would strengthen this church and continue to add to it as you see fit. May you grow us, mature us. May you strengthen us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray.